Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Cleveland, Ohio. Welcome to the show, Ken Gee. Thank you for having me, sir. Great to have you back. It's been a couple of years since we've spoken last, and we're going to have a great conversation because so much has changed in the market. But maybe before we do, perhaps give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey for the listeners who have not met you yet. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, moved to Cleveland. uh, Well, I got my undergrad from Toledo uh, in finance, then I moved to Cleveland, got my graduate degree, a master's in accountancy, went to work for Deloitte for seven years. While I was getting my degree, I worked for a bank as a commercial lender uh, and did the night thing and uh, and went to work for Deloitte and the tax side, uh, did mostly M&A work for about seven years. But it was there where I uh, finally figured out that, um, man, I, I was a CPA, I was working way, way, way too hard. And uh, I got really stressed out one night when I was feeding my daughter in the middle of the night because I realized it was the middle of the night and that was my quality time with her. And that really stressed me out. And I thought, you know what? I, I don't I don't want this. I want to be able to see her play basketball and see my son play bas- uh, uh, baseball and all that stuff. I don't want to miss any of that stuff. So I set out on a mission to figure out how I was going to, you know, get rid of the W-2 job. And I did that. I did that through uh, the first three deals we bought were in Cleveland, um, sold them three years later. These are all small deals. They're less than 30 units each. And uh, back then, this is we're talking back in uh, the late 90s. Uh, I made half a million bucks on those three deals. And I thought, you know what? This is crazy. I just made more money on the side than I did working like a million hours a week uh, as a CPA at Deloitte. And so I continued to press that uh, that business plan. And now, you know, 25 years later, we've uh, uh, my, I, I did put my kids through school without any debt. I did get to see all their sporting events. That was so exciting for me. And, uh, and of course, I left Deloitte, and uh, this is all we do now. We we do this, uh, multifamily real estate, and uh, we have helped hundreds of investors do the exact same thing. So quite a transition, I'll tell you, 25 years ago, uh, my life looks a, a lot different then than it does today, for sure. I'll bet. Now, of course, since you and I spoke last a couple of years ago, a lot's changed yet again. Mm-hmm. We've got, boy, a huge run-up in interest rates, uh, almost anything looked like a deal a couple of years ago for those who weren't super selective. Right. Today, that's very different. And I'd say there's still a lot of price discovery to be made. A lot of sellers that are upside down haven't come to the realization that they're upside down, or if they have, they're not showing it. They're still expecting to sell at last year's numbers. I can imagine it's difficult to find opportunities in today's market. It is. It's it's very. I mean, first of all, it's always difficult to find a deal. It seems like, especially with everything we do is in Florida right now. So it's always been hard there. It's re- even harder now because not only do you have to compete with a bunch of buyers uh, to, for the same asset. There, although there are few buy- fewer buyers, now you're competing with a seller who really, in their mind, doesn't want to you know accept the fact that uh, the deal is just not worth what it was. And by no none of their own doing, right? It's just rates went moved against them, and uh, cap rates uh, went up, and so now the properties aren't worth uh, as much. That's actually why we went out. We used to syndicate our deals, so um, most of your listeners probably know when you syndicate a deal, you go find the deal, and then you go raise the money. Well, I, you know, in, in an effort to differentiate ourselves and make ourselves a stronger buyer, we flipped that around. 
Um, I did a ton of M&A work at, at Deloitte, so I was very familiar with the private equity model. So we went out, raised the money first, and then we're a, just a massively stronger buyer. It it was uh, did well to set us apart back then when we talked the last time. And, uh, you know, it it will hopefully set us apart now because there's a lot of folks that try to go under under contract and they just can't raise the equity because uh, because investors are a little skittish. We've already raised the money. So we're hopeful that it will give us the same advantage that it gave us before uh, and make us that much of a stronger buyer. And hopefully we can nail down a deal. But there's a huge gap. As you said, there's a lot of price discovery going on right now. They're getting there. We're We're pulling sellers down little by little. Um, as the, uh, I, I always say, as the kind of the noose is tightening around their neck, right? Because the 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 debt's coming due, the rate cap's expiring, and the closer they get to that event, they know they have to deal with it. And uh, hopefully, we're there to help them out. So, talk a little bit about the fund model because there's pros and cons. One of the pros you mentioned already, having the liquid cash available ready to deploy, is a, a huge advantage when you're a buyer. At the same time there's a rate of return expectation with your investors. While that cash is sitting in the bank account earning zero, um, you're not meeting that. So is there a pressure to deploy simply to generate a rate of return or to generate a rate of return that's not zero? Yeah, that's a really good question. So we solve that problem by we don't collect the cash the day you you uh, commit. We, it's a commitment. It's an open commitment. You, we've agreed on it. I want you to stay invested uh, in whatever you're invested in, because I don't. I never have bought with a gun to my head, or ex, you know, significant amount of pressure. I don't. There's no way I'm going to start doing that now. So you know, I just ask our investors to be really, really patient. I have that. You know, they have to trust that I am working really hard to find them a good deal, um, but I'm not going to put them in just any deal. So we solve that problem by saying, look. Stay invested. We'll call you when the capital's ready. Uh, we did the exact same thing with our with our last fund, and it worked perfectly. Even though I thought for sure somebody would flake, not one person flaked. And uh, so, you know, we we'll we'll plan for for a little uh, fallout here, but I, I don't think we'll get it when we do find that deal because there's so many people that want to to get in this game. If it's a deal we'll do, they trust us, and they know that we're only going to do deals that we think are home runs. So that's a really good question, and that's how we dealt with it. So that is always the concern that when you make that capital call, that someone will say, "Oh, I was, you know, I I stayed invested, my mm-hmm. stock portfolio dropped thirty percent, and uh, now I can't do it," or some some variation on that story. I'm sure you've heard it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is it? What have you done differently to make sure that you've got a higher compliance rate with those capital calls? Well, we had 100% compliance rate before, um, and if if there's some if there's some fallout, I'll just fund it myself, and uh, you know I have I have a new investor come in to replace me uh, that excess amount. So, it, it, you know, it's a risk that's very hard to mitigate. The risk is to me, um, you know, it, it's really my risk, and uh, you know we're not going to not close the deal because of that. So. It's it's a it's a fair risk. I, I thought on the I thought on our last fund it would be a problem. It just was not. It, it was just not. There's there's no shortage of people who want to be invested in real estate. I will tell you that. It's interesting because we're certainly experiencing the capital markets to be more difficult than they were eighteen months ago. Uh, like you said, some investors are skittish, mm-hmm. and, and on a very simple level, they're saying, "Well, why would I?" 
take risk in a real estate project when I can just put my money in, you know, 30-day T-bills and get over 5% uh, and not take any risk at all? Now, what What's your response to that? Yeah, so that that's a good question or, or a good uh, uh, comment to make. Here's, here's what I would tell you. Um, our investors, uh, there's two, there's two big components to your return in real estate, as you know, one is the cash flow, second was the appreciation. So that, that can, I mean, I, you're really not getting in a value add deal for the cash flow distributions. I mean, yes, they're there, uh, but that's not the real reason you're in this deal. You're in this deal for the upside. And so uh, there is, when we buy, there will be upside. We believe there'll be the upside, especially if you think about this and we don't model this out, but you know, cap rates are considerably higher than they were. Interest rates are considerably higher than they were. If you look at the state of Florida, insurance is definitely higher than it's been, right? So uh, I've watched for 25 years the insurance market cycle. I mean, they'll, they'll have to solve the insurance problem. Rates will eventually either stabilize or come down a little bit. But here's what's key. Even if rates don't move, even if insurance doesn't move, I'm projecting rent increases based on today's environment. So I, my goal is the day we take over, we rent our next unit at what we think the new market rents are. It's, it's you know, we're that conservative uh, with it. So my response is really, if if all you really want out of an investment is 5%, you should not be in our fund, right? There, there's no reason to, because there's no benefit. The, the cash flow that you get, we distribute quarterly, is just a, a small part of what we hope to be the total return. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, there's a lot of competition for assets, especially assets of any quality, especially in the state of Florida. How do you stay out of the auction environment? Because in an auction, as you know, when there's multiple bidders, the winning bidder is almost guaranteed to pay too much. Yeah. Uh, yes and no. So I, we stay out of, first of all, every deal that we've tried to get has been in a bidding situation, except one. So when we raised our last fund, I was convinced that it would be a benefit to the brokers and it would help us be a stronger buyer. What I didn't understand is just how much the brokers really enjoyed that because now they had a story to tell. So the first deal we put in that fund never saw the market. And the second and third deal we put in that fund, we were not the highest bidder, but we were the ones with certainty of close. And that is really, really important, especially now because let's say rates, let's say you go under contract and during that 60 day period rates move against you a little bit. I have more flexibility than a syndicator does a lot more because I have a fund. So we, we formed the fund. We went to that model because <laughs> as a syndicator, now we have to find a way to differentiate ourselves. And it's usually through price. That's how syndicators differentiate themselves from other syndicators, right? But if I'm a fund, I don't necessarily need to do that. I'm already differentiated. Because as you know, if that deal comes back to the market, it's just tainted. It just is, and it's you know that 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 asset's going to take uh, take a haircut for when it does finally trade. So, our certainty of close and our reputation in the market. I mean, all the brokers know who we are, and uh, you know we're just straight shooters. And if we write you an LOI, we expect to close at that number, and that's important. It. So, what have you seen in the last six to nine months that? maybe most investors may or may not be aware of? Uh, what have I seen that they're not aware of? Well, I mean, the deals that are getting closed, I think some people are still, um, they're not underwriting as carefully as they probably should. So, you know, that that's why things are still trading uh, where they are. I mean, believe it or not, there are still deals trading, but and they're trading above where they should. 
And it's just because the brokers are able to convince someone that there's enough upside that they should go ahead and take a short term. I don't want to call it a loss, but uh, they're really deferring to gain uh, quite a bit down the road. So, um, you know, what am I seeing in the next six to nine months that they're not seeing? I, I don't I don't know. We're going to maintain our discipline um, that I will tell you. And uh and, and and it's always served us well. So uh, it's a hard question to answer because I don't know what they're seeing. I just know that, you know, in some deals, I mean, I can remember a deal we bid 18 and I knew we were at the top and it, it traded for 21. And I'm, I'm, I thought, I, there's no way on earth that thing is going to work at 21. So we'll see what happens. Maybe, maybe they, you know, there are, very, there are buyers with different scenarios. Some people with 1031s, they just really don't want to pay that tax. So they will do anything to avoid it. There are other folks coming into the market sometimes that don't have a return requirement. They just want their money out of their home country and in the United States. They don't care. They they just know that they will lose far less than if they leave it wherever it is. So in those scenarios, we can't compete. But other than that, um, you know, we're we're usually competitive. Yeah. So that's a, those are two very good answers because like you, we see a lot of scenarios where we say, I can't believe that that property traded for that price. It makes no sense at all. But that's viewed through the lens with our belief system and our underwriting, which you know we have a lot of confidence in, but we recognize that that's not the entire market. Right. There are others with different objectives, different return requirements. That, that's exactly right. So we, I call it fishing. Brokers go fishing every day. <laughs> And if they can find a, a fish, fantastic. If not, we're here. We, you know we're going to close. We just will. And that and that's our strength. It'll get us deals. I know it'll get us deals. Well, Ken, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Yeah, easiest way is to go to our website, kripartners.com slash invest. So it's kripartners.com slash invest. That's the easiest way. And it'll give you all the information you need about our fund and what we do and how we do it and our track record and, and everything. Terrific. Well, love the conversation. Great to catch up. And for the listeners at home, definitely connect with Ken Gee at kripartners.com slash invest. The link will be in the show notes. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.